Welcome to Liz Talks. I'm Liz, and I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and best-selling author, but here I'm 0% professional and 100% mom, spouse, friend, and overanalyzer. We are going to talk food, beauty, family, fitness, mental health, friendship, marriage, and everything in between in this season of Liz Talks, and I'm so glad you're along for the ride. Remember, this is a podcast about thoughts, feelings, and opinions, and I definitely do not give individual, personal, or medical advice. This is episode 40, topic, interview with Lindsay Melis, home birth midwife and women's health advocate. And in case you missed it, last week's episode 39 was a Q&A with yours truly, covering topics like European sunscreen, getting up early to work out, and transitioning from one to two kids. Before I begin today, I want to thank Arrowhead Mills, as always, because they sponsor this podcast. Podcasting is a labor of love, and it takes time and sweat equity. To have a company put their faith in my work and effect to support my small business is life-changing. Arrowhead Mills was focused on sustainable farming long before it was cool, and their range of products from cereals, yes, cereals, to cornmeal to pre-made gluten-free pancake mixes are a choice I feel really good about for my family. So next time you go to the store, look for Arrowhead Mills products. You can also find them on vitacost.com. I also want to remind you about an affiliate that I absolutely love, and that's Vibrant Body Company. There's a reason I keep talking about it. Please, please, please do not keep wearing a bra that's uncomfortable and restrictive and awful. Go to realfoodliz.com slash vibrant and use code LIZ15, all caps, for 15% off their amazingly comfortable, no-wire, certified clean bra, their shelfy tank, which I love, and their super comfortable underwear, including their thong, which is my favorite thong of all time, and you know I am team thong realfoodliz.com slash vibrant. Even if you think you're good with what you've got, and trust me, I did too. I was all sports bras all the time. Even those super soft ones from Lululemon, which are still nowhere near as comfortable and functional as the vibrant body bra. I am fully converted and I believe you will be too. Today's podcast is an interview with Lindsay Milas, and I wanted to bring Lindsay on for many reasons, not the least of which is that she has been uniquely impactful to me personally as I continue to process my second birth. And I share some parts of my second birth that I've not shared yet anywhere in this podcast. It's so interesting because it took me such a long time to open up about my first birth, but I feel like with the second kid, everything is just on this accelerated timeline. So I have followed Lindsay's Instagram for quite some time, and it has challenged me. It's brought up so many questions and thoughts, and it's comforted me as well. And to say this of an Instagram account is like, that's ideal, right? That's that's the goat. That's the, the thing that you want to actually get out of social media. And it's rare that an account does that, but it's so powerful. And I talk more about how I actually connected with Lindsay one-on-one during this episode, But she's just so gracious, so loving, so full of wisdom, and I'm so excited to talk to her. So here's more about Lindsay. Lindsay is a mom and traditional spiritual midwife. Oh my gosh, that phrase gives me chills. It's just so beautiful. Who has been serving childbearing women through birth, lactation, and emotionally through trauma release work since 2004. She works in Southern California and has had the pure honor of witnessing over 1,300 births. And I love how she says witnessing rather than 
delivering 1300 babies because we all know it's the moms that deliver the babies. The midwife witnesses them. She believes that great grandma wisdom is one of the most essential rememberings to tap into during each rite of passage that we weave through as women in our lifetimes. So for the women listening, I'd love to have you listen to this podcast, no matter where you are in your journey, personally, reproductively, or as a parent, this stuff is relevant no matter what. And I hope you connect with Lindsay as much as I do. Do you, do you do a lot of podcasts? I'm starting to do a lot more. I, I mean, yeah. all I do is talk normally in life. So <laughs> recording, it just makes it more fun. <laughs> I mean, it's like, why not? If you're going to be having like juicy conversations with people, yeah. why not do it in a scalable way? So everybody can benefit. It's so true. And you've already, you've been doing podcasting forever. It seems like forever we did. Yeah. So I did one for like eight years and then, and it was a great podcast. We had like millions and millions of downloads and I don't, I, I didn't, I just did it because I wanted to do it. I never yeah. thought about it in terms of numbers or success or not success. And I don't know. I think that's kind of the way you approach things. It's yeah. just, you know, do it because yeah. you want to do it authentically and hopefully it hits. And so this podcast I started, you know, like six or seven months ago, just feeling like I was ready to come back. Cause I really, I, I, maybe you'll understand this just as sort of the spiritual person you are. And I don't know, I just felt like I needed to turn inward for like two years. And this was before, mm -hmm. before everything just exploded with pandemic. And I was pregnant and I was just like, I need to back away just for my spiritual well being, And so yeah. I just was just turning inward for like probably a year or two, but then, yeah. you know, there was a time I was ready yeah. to come back. There's so much beauty in that retreat. And it's like the chrysalis, right? Like you're in this like deep chrysalis where you're like repairing and everything's kind of like coming back online and you're like nourishing your soul. And then all of a sudden you're like, Nope, here's my wings. I'm ready. You <laughs> I'm know, ready to go. Yeah. yeah. That's such a good analogy. And I think it was Oh man, you, so you have been the source of like several epiphanies mm -hmm. before I ever even reached out and was like, hi, I have a thing to say, but even like just now that totally blew my mind and I never connected it, but it took us five years to decide to even try to have a second baby. Mm -hmm. And just that process, not only with what was going on in the world, but just what was going on in my head with the fact that we were actually doing it probably required a pretty fundamental, just like realignment that yeah. I couldn't do if a lot of my energy was going outward. Mm -mm, mm -mm. It's that yin side of your brain, right? Like it's, mm. it's where we go to this inward space. Like, I mean, it's unrealistic, but I always say like pregnant women probably shouldn't even be driving cars, not because they don't have the capability to, but mm -hmm. driving cars is like fast pace. And there's like, you know, danger around any turn. And there's all these different things that can happen. And like, we're supposed to be so yin and like, so internal and like creating this baby, creating this right. life. And so, I mean, it's modern day, right? Like it's yes. before we were never in those situations, but now all of a sudden our primal brains have to deal with those situations. So it's just, it's just an interesting thing, but if we get intuitive with ourselves, we know, and we're able to, well, not always, but most of the time we can kind of listen to those internal callings and retreat back. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing when we do listen to those. I feel like for a long time, there was such a culture around like hustle, you know, like boss up and hustle and all yes. this. And it's like, no, 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 
no, like that's actually not where women do the best work. And we have to look at this, you know, menstrual cycle and this moon cycle and this gestation cycle and like bring it back to the ebb and flow, just like the ebb and flow of the ocean. And instead of just like pushing and hustling and, and, you know, driving forward so much, that's just not how women's bodies are designed. Oh, I love that. So I have I have a, a workout program and it's, and it's, I don't like to, I don't like the word targeted catered. It's Mm -hmm. catered toward moms like me. And one of the discussions that we've had that has been really interesting as like, uh, you know, executives in charge of it is like, how do we communicate to women that we're not just, uh, this is, this is a funny word to use, but that is not just about like well-being and physical, you know, taking care of your physical body and all of that through exercise and movement is not just about the contraction. Like people mm-hmm. are like, you work out during pregnancy and you're thinking you're contracting your muscles and you're lifting and you're bracing and you're moving and you're doing all that hard stuff. But but you have to complement that with the release. You have to be just as good with the letting go and the release as with the, the contraction and the pulling and the, and all of that. And I think that was really missing for me, probably in both my births, but the second one in particular, which was a home birth Mm -hmm. after C-section. And that was really, really tough for me. And it was such a lesson and everything that I've done professionally has just, been the source of like, Hey, you probably could have figured this out just by, you know, basic reasoning and deduction, but we're going to just let you experience it because Mm -hmm. this is what, how it's going to stick. And that was definitely one of those moments. Yeah. It's part of your sacred contract. You know, that's, that's what we go through this life with big lessons that weave into our sacred contract with everything throughout life and things that we don't even know are connected. Like Mm -hmm. something that happened during your birth could affect something that happens when you're 70 and you won't know until you're there, or maybe never even make that connection, but you'll have that foundation built for it. So it's something that's just like, once we surrender to basically the notion that we don't have much control, like, yes, we can control certain things, but like on the grand scheme of life, there's really not a whole hell of a lot that we get to control, you know? And so so I feel you, I don't know if you know my birth story at all, but I had a cesarean with my daughter. So you know, just was kind of plowed over by medical intervention and cascade of intervention and ended up with a C-section didn't get past two centimeters from a really pretty hard induction. And I looked at both my mom and my mother-in-law who had had C-sections and went, what do I do? And they both said, Oh, you know, get a C-section. That's no big deal. And I felt like I was robbed, you know, I, I, and I was 20, two when I had my Mm. daughter. And I felt like I left that experience as a 22 year old thinking that there was something that was innately taken away from me. And I couldn't really place what it was. And it took me six years in order to move forward and have a baby again. So I feel like that, that process of like, do I even want to do this again? And like, have I done the work to clear out what happened to me in order to move into that next experience? And it's, it's, it's like a really big commitment that you, once you've had a baby and you know what it's like, and you know what that experience can be like with the birth, like you're like, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm up against. And if I don't make the decisions to change something, then I'm going to end up in the same situation again. So yeah. Yeah. It's it, it. I feel you on that time frame, you know, and, and some people, do it quick. And some people Mm -hmm. take longer. 
Yeah. It's funny too, thinking about, well, okay. So for folks who, (laughs) we are just, Lindsay and I are just now connecting like verbally in an actual, like one-on-one conversation. I I'll have to go back. I reached out to you and I could share this in the, in the opening that I'm going to record later, but I'm going to share it now. Cause I want to share it like with you. Yes. So I've been following Lindsay and her Instagram account for a long time and it's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's it, it and it, sh- it shakes me sometimes. I'll be honest. You know, there are a lot of mo- emotions around birth that I still move through and people that have been with me for a long time know all about that. But I connected with Lindsay because she so graciously and kindly responded to a completely random direct message that I sent regarding a post that she put up on Instagram. And I can't even remember exactly what it was, but I sent you a message where I was like, Hey, I'm still kind of processing all of this, but, Oh, it was your post about short cords. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And it was, it was about how there can be an abnormal lab labor pattern and how, you know, we t- typically see this like prodromal pattern and that's the placenta actually moving down the uterus uh-huh. with the baby. And, and, you know, that's what can happen if we have these short cords. And you've said to me, I had my cord snap. Yes. yes. Which is, which is like, I couldn't, I was processing it, processing it for the longest time and just kind of in this stall around it. And it was the same thing, like with my C-section, it took me a long time to just process through that and feel like I was ready to talk about it. I didn't talk about it for a really long time, even though I had a weekly podcast. So this whole thing about the cord snapping, it was like, I, for some reason, I haven't been able to talk to my previous midwives about it. And I haven't felt like sharing about it publicly, but then I sent that message to you because your post was so helpful and you wrote back to me and you just gave me so much clarity. You gave me the compassion I needed in responding in the first place. You gave me some clarity in saying like, what did you say? That it was something that you'd seen a couple of times before. And I was so sad that I didn't get to do delayed cord clamping because that was one of the reasons I was so excited about a home birth. And you said that you had seen it before and that typically, what did you say about the delayed cord clamping? I'll recount it improperly. Yeah. So typically what happens when you have these short cords that can break right at birth is snap at birth. I should really say is that since the cord is so short, it gets stretched out so much that there isn't that I'm going to kind of give the physiological experience of baby baby going through the birth canal. So when baby comes down through the birth canal, they're getting squeezed. So as their bodies are getting squeezed, a lot of their blood shunts back up through their cord and into the placenta. So there's different places that will say different things. Sometimes you read anywhere from 25% of their blood up to 50% of their blood is in the cord and placenta. Once they're born, once they're born, the cord continues to pulsate. And as that cord continues to pulsate, then they get back what their normal blood volume was like, that's supposed to be part of their circulatory system. And when we have, you know, the cords cut right away, then basically they're born in a physiological state of shock and anemic. And we see it quite often. We take our babies to the pediatrician, they test for anemia and everybody wonders why the heck is my baby anemic? Well, that's your first answer right there. And so what I see in the few experiences I've had with these short cords that actually snap is that they're not, they're, they're so stretched that there's not that blood that's communicating back and forth and that their, their cords are basically white right at birth. And that means that all of that blood is 
gone back to the baby. And I don't see these big juicy placentas that you would think would be full and the cord, you know, all the veins inside of that is full. Mm -hmm. they, They look like they've drained into the baby. And as baby emerges and comes up and the cord snaps, they've gotten all of their physiological blood supply in them in that moment. So it's, it goes back to the notion that in most cases, not always, but in most cases, the way that we give birth in a normal physiological process, it's intended for survival, right? Like if we were in a cave, if we were great, 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 great grandmas, and we didn't really know any of this stuff, if we were pushing our babies out into this world in the cord snap, they would probably do the same thing that I do it because it's kind of takes you by surprise is grab the cord, hold it with your fingers and then find something to appropriately kind of clamp it off with and then have bring their baby up to their breast and let the mm-hmm. placenta come out. So it's it's I always say it's the way nature intended, but it's it's it truly is the way that nature intended. I it's so it's so strange because I feel like we're still well, first of all, you just responding to my message. Like it, it, I actually pictured it like the birth of my baby with the short cord where she just like her head came out and she just hung out for a second because like, she wasn't just going to shoot out like some of those, those videos that you see, but I feel like you like shot me out of the birth canal just by responding to my message with that. Mm-hmm. And I had just been like in this, in this holding pattern for the longest time around that, just not exactly sure who I even wanted to talk about it to first. Mm-hmm. And that was just so helpful. So thank you so much for that. You're so welcome. Amazing. What a blessing that just, you know, I didn't think it would have any sort of that response. It was just me kind of saying, Hey, this is probably what happened, but I'm so glad that you were able to feel seen and heard and loved in that moment. That was just, just phenomenal. And you just never know, you never know, Mm -mm. you know, what some kind of simple thing for you might do for another person. So I just appreciated that so much. And it really did. It helped. And, and one of the things that it kind of drew my mind back to was that the work that you do and the work that people like you with the same and similar missions as you is to like, or appears to be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and share your mission with us, you know, after I'm done rambling, but creating this safe space for, for birthing women. And one thing that I think is probably still lacking for some women and many, many women across certain communities is we have a little bit of what we need, but not all of it. So I feel like I had a little bit of what I needed in my midwifery care, but that we're not to a point yet, at least where I am or the resources that I have, where there's this cocoon, like you were talking about before, like a cocoon Mm -hmm. around me where I had those perfect presences all around me to make me feel informed, which is one of my like top values is I want to feel like I know what I need to know. And if I don't know something that I will know who to go to. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And, you know, I had a midwife or two midwives. I had an OB as well. Who's wonderful. I had a doula who's wonderful, but for some reason, I still didn't feel like there was anybody I could go to about this question. And it's not any of their faults. It's just, we're still building this structure around women are around like the birthing world mm-hmm. and you're, you're just such a huge part of that work. So can you tell me a little bit more, more about your mission and how you're trying to structure this for women? Yeah. I mean, what you said about community is so important and essential because for all of time, we, you know, sat around the fire with our aunties and our sisters and our grandmas, and we all heard stories about how we were born or 
you know, important things in life that we talked about breastfeeding and menstruation and, and, you know, what it, what it is to, you know, cook food around a fire together. And it like all of that love going into the food, like we don't have those rituals anymore in, in our daily lives. And so when we miss out on those rituals, we really come back into this space of like, what wondering, like what ifs, and, and I don't know if this person is going to be the safe person for this. And, and it's, it leaves us in an ungrounded space. And Mm -hmm. so something that is really important to me throughout my prenatal care is the prenatal experience of community. So I share an office with a chiropractor and we have a bustling office. Like there's, there's kids here. We have a, a toy room for the kids to play in. And I, I sometimes think that what's more important than us measuring the belly and listening to heart tones and doing blood pressure is them actually hearing each other's stories. So if I have a a client that's due to give birth soon, and I have another client in the other room that's had a beautiful first birth experience, I'll invite her into this mom's prenatal just to tell the story, not to do anything else than just have someone present with you telling you a good story about their own birth. And, you know, they, they take what they want with it, but they know that something like that is possible. And so when, when we start to integrate these stories into our being, then we start to have a deeper reverence and trust within our bodies. And so I think it, it moves us through not just the birth, but into parenting and into postpartum. And we, we do find these less tribe of, of women, if you will, this tribe of community, if you will, that, that supports us in that way. And so that's, that's definitely a mission of mine, but it's interesting because it's, it's such a micro thing, right? Like I'm just in this, you know, small little city, city in orange County. And so I'm really trying to branch into the more macrocosm where I can start connecting more and more women together and tapping back into that great grandma wisdom and the, the deep and deep remembering of, of who we are as women, you know, of who we came from, of, of where our tradition and our, our power goes after that birth experience, after that mothering experience, mothering stays with you forever. But, you know, Mm -hmm. with raising little ones into young adults and into adults, like where, where do we take that with us and, and how it's passed down, you know, it's, it's this legacy, if you will. So that's, that's a really important piece to me. And I think the other part that's drastically missing from Western medicine is autonomy, radical autonomy, sovereignty of your body and realizing that nobody else is in charge of you. Like, yes, I am a midwife and yes, I journey with women all the time. But the, the thing that really is most important is that a woman's intuition is honored above and beyond anything else. And so all of my clients will attest to this. If I get a text message saying, you know, something, something is wrong. My first question back is what does your intuition say? And then I'll give my medical experience and my medical knowledge of different suggestions of things that they can do in regards to whatever it is that they're asking me about. But I always start with that question first, because if we are taught, because it's, it's been taken out of our culture, right? We, we have never really been taught that like we are our own self healers. 
We've always been taught that we go somewhere for somebody to tell us what's wrong. It starts with, well, baby visits and pediatrics. And, and it's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but for somebody to go into a doctor's office for the doctor to tell us that our baby is well, when that doctor sees that baby once every two months, who's the expert on that baby? The mama is. Yeah. And I feel like if there's one thing that somebody can take out of the midwifery experience, it's that they know that they are the experts of their body, that they are the experts of their children. And while yes, of course, please consult with medical professionals, but remembering that they know deep down inside, if a, something is wrong, if B something needs to be done about it. And if, you know, see how to navigate through the system, if something needs to be done with it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love to do is consult with experts. That's kind of why I love the podcast thing, because I can bring experts on and actually ask them my questions. And I feel like if we could get back to that place where we are in partnership with experts and the experts also are aware that they're in partnership with us. Mm -hmm. So as you were saying, you know, you, your gut tells you something is wrong and you call in the expertise of Mm -hmm. someone who, you know, is trained, and then you reflect their expertise off of what you already know and what feels right. And then, and that's called informed decision-making. It's not coercive. It does Mm -hmm. not lack informed consent. And it's the same with epidurals. It's the same as where you choose to give birth. Any decision somebody makes, I support provided it is made with like full consent and the that partnership with a healthcare provider versus just, I'm so afraid of getting a shot. I'm so afraid of not getting a shot, whatever it might be operating from a place of fear is always going to complicate and muddy the waters. And we can, if we can center ourselves around that sense of agency, that sense of, I'm going to gather all the expertise I possibly can. And I'm also going to put it up against my intuition, common sense, mm-hmm. what I'm seeing around me, what I, what I can tangibly see and feel and not what I'm reading in my news app or whatever it might be. Then we can make sound decisions from a place of calm. We mm-hmm. can still be afraid of something, but to be in fight or flight and to make any decision is always going to add layer upon layer of difficulty. Yes. Beautifully said. I love that. There's a really good quote and I'm not going to say it exactly right, but it was from the founder of an Instagram account called birth without fear. Mm -hmm. And she basically said like, I don't care if you schedule your C-section or give birth in the woods next to a baby deer, as long as you're making informed decisions throughout your process and you feel love seen and heard, then that's the most important thing for anybody. And it's, it goes across the board, right? Like it doesn't matter what you do. If that is right for you, amazing. Make that decision. Mm -hmm. If that's wrong for me, amazing. I know that's wrong for me. And it's, and it's not clumping everybody into this you know, group of healthcare, it's making individualized healthcare a priority, which is definitely not the forefront of where we're at right now, but it, it needs to come back to really taking into consideration that each person is an individual. Yeah. This theme, it's so funny, has run through several of my recent podcast interviews. I interviewed just a friend of mine. And before that, I interviewed a doula named Elizabeth Joy Presta. She's out of Chicago. And we were talking about how these things aren't these changes that we, that we want are not coming from the top down. Like they're not coming from the AAP or the, whatever the OBGYN professional organization is. It's 
doulas and midwives and influencers and moms like me who are talking about these things. And hopefully it seems like there's kind of a groundswell, you know, it's that grassroots cliche, but I don't think that, you know, hospitals are starting to support delayed cord clamping because the AAP said it was the right thing to do. Mm -mm. It's coming from us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's consumer driven always, you know, if if there's enough people that come in and request certain things, then they have to reevaluate and say like, well, first of all, why are people requesting this? And then what does that mean liability wise for the hospital? And so when we look at how hospitals approach these things, it's, it's really interesting. This, I always love telling this story. There's a pretty well-known hospital that's, that's by me. And they had one of the highest C-section rates in the whole entire United States. And JCO, who is the joint accreditation, they basically deal with insurance and what insurance pays for came in there. You know, like if, if JCO comes into your hospital, it's a big deal. And they came in and they said, your C-section rates, your primary C-section rates are entirely too high. Like we're going to pull what insurance will pay for within this hospital. And clearly, you know, if, if hospital can accept, cannot accept insurance, then it would crush them financially. And so I don't agree with the way that they did it because it's based in shame and not constructive criticism, but they actually took the doctors who had the highest C-section rates and pinned them on the walls. Wow. And, and you know, that so their <laughs> colleagues would see who had the highest C-section rate, the, the nurses would see who had the highest C-section rate. And, you know, their whole attempt was to lower the C-section rate and it worked, but I feel like there's more <laughs> better ways that we can communicate these things than shaming somebody by putting their names up on a wall. But, but again, it's, we, we get to this place within healthcare where we see like, yeah, maybe people are going in and requesting these things, you know, that's why it's such a high C-section rate, but we also get to stand back and say like, Hey, like, like maybe this isn't what are we giving them actual informed consent? Right. Do, Do they know that their risk of, really big, significant things go up with having C-sections. And if they continue to have more babies, their risk increases even more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's just a, you know, concept that we have to look at all parties involved in any medical procedure that happens has to take some sort of responsibility and accountability. And if it's something that's great, that's, that's benefiting clients, patients, whatever you want to call them, fantastic. But if it's something that's presenting a risk, then we have to go over all of those things as well and, and make sure that we're, you know, across the board, giving informed consent and making decisions that are going to serve our clients and patients, not just make life easier by scheduling a C-section in. Do you feel like the fact that you had a C-section gives you a greater sense of compassion? And I ask you this question because it was certainly a foundation shaking thing for me, because I had certainly thought and said probably to other people that if you just, you know, do everything right, then these things won't happen to you. You know, if you have this kind of pregnancy care, or if you opt out of this, whatever it is, then you'll have, you know, the outcome that you want. It's actually pretty simple. And then, you know, I find myself in labor at my midwifery clinic being told that the baby is breached and they've called the ambulance. So I didn't know that was the case. Yes. Yes. So, and you know, I, there were a lot of things involved at the time. There was part of me that wanted to prepare for everything, but part of me also felt like, well, either I, I would know if the baby was breached in the first place, but also that if I turned my, 
my mind to it, even to prepare for any eventuality that that would increase the likelihood of it happening, which is nonsense. Mm -hmm. But, but it was just a really interesting experience. And also one that I feel really grateful for, because I don't know, it feels like I couldn't really speak to a range of experiences if that hadn't happened, yeah, you know? So in, I've come, I've come to terms with it. It took me a long time. It took me a couple sessions of intravenous ketamine mm, some MDR, and some therapy. <laughs> Actually yeah. I did the ketamine in California in San Jose, I believe with Dr. Cook. And that was great. And that's amazing. That's a fantastic medicine that we definitely need to tap into more. Oh, it was fun. It was a phenomenal experience. So do you feel like having had that experience that you have a greater window into the range of experiences that women have. They know yeah. exactly what you're asking. And I, I, before I speak to that, I want to back up and say something really quick. Okay. So you mentioned that you would have known if there was something wrong or baby was breech. Mm-hmm. And I want to ver- make it very clear that breech is a variation of normal. Yes. And you would never think that there was anything wrong because the only thing that's wrong is a medical establishment that has lost the art of teaching skilled care providers to help women deliver breech babies. So for all of time, we've always delivered breech babies with no problems, but what's happened is we've taken this skill out. And if people are not skilled, I mean, it's, it's a tradition, right? Like we, we pass it down through each midwifery generation, each OB generation. And if we lose that, that tradition, and if we lose that skill, then that's when breach becomes risky. Mm-hmm. And so your intuition was spot on that everything was fine because everything was fine in that moment. So I just wanted to say that really quick because I, it's, it felt like there was a little bit of power that was taken away from you with, oh, for sure. there was something yeah. wrong. So no, no, I appreciate that. And that is a wonderful, that's a wonderful shift in, in consciousness. And I, and I, what still kind of rankles me is having never even turned my thoughts to the idea of baby coming out butt first mm-hmm. versus head first. I never had a plan for it because I, I, I know now that that's a variation of normal, but what ended up happening was I'm sitting there and they're all looking at me like a deer in headlights because they're surprised. You know, mm-hmm. my husband's looking at me like a deer in headlights. The midwives are looking at me like a deer in headlights. The doctor's like, let me tell you the risks. And I'm like, I can't, I'm, I'm in labor. I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. So it all falls on me to all of a sudden be the one that's supposed to advocate for myself. And I have literally no knowledge whatsoever mm-hmm. of who mm-hmm. to call, what to do. And I wish that I had, I had more knowledge to empower me in that moment. Yes. I really do. And I wish like what you are talking about here and on your Instagram page and what I followed Dr. Stuart Fishbein talk mm-hmm. about is that it's a variation of normal and it can be done, but, but who's going to do it? The majority. Well, and the problem is it goes up to the, the legislative level within the state back before 2014 midwives who are trained to do breach birth were able to do breach births. And in 2014, they wrote the law that took out our breaches and our twins and passed 42 weeks. Those are our big three that we lost. And so, um, it's, it's just unfortunate because when we have these laws that get set into place, then we lose, we lose the skill for it. So mm-hmm. you mentioned Dr. Fishbein, who's birthing instincts on Instagram, and he's a dear friend of mine. And he is 
making such a huge shift and the, you know, this perception of like what we think is normal and doing so many teachings. He's, he works with, it's called reteach breach. And he is traveling throughout the United States right now, teaching different care providers, the skill of breach birth. And Mm -hmm. it's just incredible that we can have that as an option. You know, unfortunately in the heat of the moment, it's one of those situations where if you don't have a lot of information, you're, you're you're sitting in a place of fear and not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if we have this information leading up to it, then we can make really beautiful informed choices around it. So yeah. Yes. So back to your other question about about my own birth experience with having a C-section, I will always say that the most influential birth that I had was my C-section birth. Without that birth, I would never be where I am within women's healthcare. I would never have, not that I can't have compassion for somebody that I haven't had the experience of, but really knowing what that, you know, experience of a C-section is the recovery Mm -hmm. of a C-section is breastfeeding with a C-section incision. It's just a different situation. And and when you know what it's like, then you have a whole different level of compassion. So I did have, you know, this beautiful home birth. My son was born under the stars in our jacuzzi in our backyard. And, you know, it was this full redemptive full circle moment, but that C-section birth will always be the the one that changed me the most. And I, I think my daughter, who's almost 20, now all the time for sacrificing that experience of her birth. So I could have the experience I needed to move into my life's Dharma, if you will. So tell me about that. Tell me about moving into your life's Dharma after you gave birth via C-section at what? 22 years old. You said 22 years old. Yeah. And then, and then you're here. So tell me what happened in between. (laughs) So I left the experience reeling and thinking that there had to be a better way than what I experienced. And so within a year after her birth, I became a childbirth doula and I, you know, my main mission mission was to save the world. Like I was going to go and I was going to help every woman not have the same experience that I did. And a lot of people will go into the birth world wanting to be a savior. And as I've evolved throughout the years, I've been doing births now for close to 19 years. The first question I'll always say to somebody that says, Oh, you have the best job in the whole world. I want to get into birth work. I say, my job is to talk you out of birth work. And your job is to talk me into why your nervous system is regulated enough to do birth work. Mm -hmm. And you're also here to talk me into why you're not going to take on the role of the savior. You're going to take on the role as empowering women to be the saviors of their own entire experiences. And so in, had I not experienced the first few years of doula work that I did trying to be the savior, I would never be in a place of saying that I got to a place where I felt like I was a, a cl- accomplice to a crime. Like I felt like I was sitting in a room I couldn't really do anything. If you become a, you know, noisy, bossy doula, then you get banned from the hospital. So there's, there's only so much you can say and whisper into women's ears, but in that moment, they're in a moment that they're usually getting threatened with. This is a decision of life or death. You know, if you don't make this decision, your baby might possibly die. And they're always going to err on the side of making sure that everybody's okay. So I said, I can't do this. I'm not making a difference. I'm still seeing all the same similar outcomes as what I experienced with my own birth. So I went into lactation consulting. So I I ran a lactation consultant clinic at a hospital for over four to five years. And I would walk into the hospital and every single time I'd walk in and I would look at the board and I would say, Oh, C-section induction and, you know, go through the board. And I would know all of those people would be in my breastfeeding clinic that day. 
And so I did that and it was great seeing all those beautiful new babes and, you know, being with moms and that's really precious postpartum vulnerable time. But again, I was like, I'm not making a difference. Like I, I haven't actually tapped in and realized like what the root cause of all of this is. And it it was letting women take their power back into their own hands with birth. And so right around that same time where I had that epiphany, there was a mentor of mine who called me and said, I'm starting a midwifery school down in San Diego, which was a a good hour and a half drive for me. And we would love for you to be part of our first accredited class. And would you be open to it? And it was like the sky opened. And I was like, yes, of course, this is exactly what I've been looking for. So I committed to that. It was a three year experience of driving back and forth, raising a family. I was pregnant during midwifery school. So it was a really big commitment for us to, to move into that, but I haven't looked back. That was almost 16 years ago that I started that whole process. And I've had my own midwifery practice in Southern California coming up now for gosh, am I 12 or 13 years? I think coming up on 13 years now. And it's, it's just been this full encompassing Progression. I would would say that the midwife I was when I started is completely different than the midwife I am now. Yes, because of experience, but also because I have really shifted into regulating my nervous system and making sure that I mirror and model that for my clients as well. That that self-autonomy piece and sovereignty piece is a really big piece of my care that's shifted the way that I practice. So it's it's really just kind of stepping back into what I call the remembering of great grandma wisdom and and weaving that throughout the care that I give. So what does that look like if you feel like sharing the the nervous system regulation? (laughs) There's so so many different ways that we can look at nervous system regulation. I think the the most important part is having a solid foundation of women around you that can be the sounding board, can support you, that you can call at three o'clock in the morning and have Mm -hmm. them take you through a vasal vagal reset if needed. Without that foundation, I don't think that many people could have regulated nervous systems. I think it's a self-prioritization of putting up boundaries. Most people that go into healthcare in general really are helpers, right? We want to help people. We want to love on people. We want to help people when they need it. But when you're a helper, it's hard to set up those boundaries around your own space of making sure that you yourself are healthy first. So it's, it's really making sure that you step into a relationship with very clear guidelines of what, you know, the expectations are like, if it's an emergency, I am always here for you. It doesn't matter what time it is, but if it's not like, please honor the fact that I have a family at home And if you text me at 6.30 on a Sunday night, the odds are I'm going to be eating dinner with them. And I probably won't respond until the following day when my business hours are. So it's, it's just kind of moving into that space and knowing that it's okay to do that within this profession. And it it, it models to them, what them, meaning the clients, what they can also do moving into their pregnancy, birth and postpartum period. You know, it's okay to have the foundation of those boundaries that are there that are going to either a hinder your experience or b set up a really beautiful space for you to feel supported. One of the boundaries I think I, as a patient should have set with my home birth midwives was we, we shared a like disdain for a lot of what was happening in birth, especially in where I live in Kansas city, where a lot of things that were happening at the hospitals and all of our conversations were kind of like, you know, 
bringing that stress up where it's like, God, why do they do that? And things are so hard for us. And, Mm -hmm. and gosh, you know, I've, I've been me personally, like I was wronged in this way or whatever it might be. And I think maybe there's this, and I, I, they're really, really good people and they're Mm -hmm. doing really good work. And the, the home birth midwives in Kansas city, I know are amazing. And at the same time, I think all of us who desire a change in the options that we have and in the way care is given, I think it's really easy to get caught up in this upset and this anger and this disdain for the way things are. Mm -hmm. And to bring yourself down from that, I think can be difficult because when we get together with people who are like-minded in that way, it's really easy just to be like, breach is a variation of normal. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they really, they really screwed that up or, or whatever. I mean, it wasn't that intense, but I did find that most of our conversations were around not, you know, positive, nurturing, quiet, or at the very least, those are the, not the conversations that stood out to me most. So it could have mm-hmm. been my mindset. It could have been a combination of things that we just felt like we were in a sisterhood of people who were trying to do things differently, whatever it was. But one boundary I should have set for myself around all of that was probably like, this is not, this is not productive to my purpose right now. Mm-hmm. Like my purpose is to remain calm and prepare and, and to find my safety and to figure mm-hmm. out what, what's going to serve me best in this entire process. And my doula was amazing. I, I chose well. She was one, she was a 3 a.m. girl. I love that. To a T. She talked me through a lot of things. So that was phenomenal. But that boundary I think definitely should have been set. So when it comes to your mamas, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you find yourself needing to do to kind of bring them back to center? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. And and you know I know that this is just an audio only, but I have created an office be behind me that mm-hmm. is, is feels like home. So it's, they're not walking into this like medical feeling vibe. They're walking into a vibe that would be like, they're coming to have coffee with their girlfriend. And so while we have, you know, a certain type of medical things to check off our list, those things are very minuscule in the sense of what the overall prenatal appointment is. I would say that the majority of the time I am more of a therapist than a midwife, and this is a safe space. So I have people that don't even say a word and walk into this office with tears in their eyes mm-hmm. and they lock eyes with me. And they, I know that they cannot sit in any sort of waiting room and they're taken back immediately. And most of the time we don't even sit in the office. We go straight into the back out the door and we stick both of our feet in the, in the grass or the dirt Mm -hmm. outside. And I always have them close their eyes. And, you know, if there's that permission given with consent, I will always lay a hand on our heart and have our hearts connected. And we just breathe together for the first Mm -hmm. part of that appointment. And so making sure that they know that even just starting their appointment in that safe space is what's most important to me. You know, as things come up, I recently did a pap smear on a woman, just that alone. I wish people would realize that well, women care is so it's so essential to feel safe within their Mm -hmm. bodies. You know, people always complain about how bad and awful pap smears are. If you do a pap smear with me, there is nobody that will ever say it's awful. You know, you come into this office and if we, we breathe first, we, there's, there's an informed consent of me asking permission to even touch a woman's body. There's, there's the breath work that goes into making sure that we're taking deep breaths down into our womb before we even move any further with the pap smear. There's just so much to it that can make kind of obnoxious medical procedures 
loving, centered, mm-hmm. gentle. I, I once did a pap smear on a 18 year old who had just become sexually active and, you know, she was having pain with, with putting in the speculum and I took her hand and I said, you were in control. And I let her move the speculum in the way that she needed to move the speculum in over a 10 minute period of time. She will never have that imprint that was painful. That was hard. She would always have that imprint that this is how medical care can be. So Mm -hmm. it's just creating this experience, if you will, that medical care that we're used to doesn't need to look the way that we're used to it looking. We can create a whole different paradigm within that field where medical care is something that's very personable and very loving where most of my clients leave like close family afterwards, you know, after our our birth experience together. Yeah. So with your daughter who, if you care to share, you don't have to share, but I imagine that you've been on a journey with her for many years about teaching her about all of these things. So I have a seven-year-old and a Mm -hmm. two-year-old And I really, really hope when it's time for them to start getting well woman care that I can find someone like you who can show them what is possible from the perspective of, of caring for themselves and connecting to their intuition, but also being able to call in experts who can help them get to know maybe parts of their body that, that they, that they don't know much about yet. So is that part of your mission? Do you ever think about how we educate our daughters around these things? And what are you, what do you do? What did you do with your daughter? Absolutely. I mean, it's, to me, it's essential that we have discussions around correct anatomical Mm -hmm. things that we discuss cervical mucus, that we discuss our cycles, that we discuss every changing part of their beautiful female bodies. You know, it's something that's so essential and I think it goes back probably two or three generations down, maybe prior to that, but it, there's such a stigma around, you know, ant flow and the time of the month and Mm -hmm. our periods. And we, you know, have to kind of like shame ourselves with it. And, and now we get a step into this, this connection with our children that we have the conversations around shifting all of those things. I mean, I remember getting my period, my mom wasn't home. My grandma was downstairs and it was horrifying. You know, I had no idea what was going on. I wasn't really talk. I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know it was going to happen to me or how it was going to happen to me. And when my, my daughter, probably much to her dismay at that's at that point in her life, she was in fifth grade. I did something that I called a puberty for her whole class. Oh my gosh. For all the, for, for all, the girls in the class. And so amazing. All the girls came to our house with their moms and we made it a traditional blessing way, if you will. So we basically had each mom stand up and light a candle and speak to all of the girls about what they loved about being a woman. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And we also went through our female lineage. So we all introduced ourselves and, you know, the girls giggled the whole time, but the, the moms, you know, you know, would say their name, like I am Lindsay, I am daughter to Cheryl. I am granddaughter (laughs) to Helen and I am mother to Dylan and river. And so to hear those names echoed through, they realize that it's not just them in this experience, that it's, it's, they're experiencing what, you know, they're, they're grandmothers, their mothers, their great grandmas had experienced and it made them feel connected in that sense. And, and then I did go into the whole, 
experience of them learning about cervical fluid and their breasts and all of that. And, you know, like I said, again, much to her dismay, but I feel like it definitely has shifted the woman that she's become today and love that. I love sharing that with, with, you know, young women moving into that stage of their life. And I really wish there was a way where we could scale it into something Mm -hmm. that was really sacred, but not just, you know, some random mom's midwife that you felt (laughs) lucky enough to be in the class with where you got to have an experience like that, you know? Right. Well, maybe that's a business idea for some time in the future. Right. Yeah. But I love that. And I do remember really feeling like I had to go to another place when I had my first appointment with an, with a gynecologist where I got my first pap smear, just feeling like I had to just like, you know, just go somewhere else while it was all happening. And, you know, I've had an OB that is phenomenal, pretty typical in a lot of ways, but also very soft, very gentle kind of, you know, I'm touching here, I'm touching here now this, and just that was like leaps and bounds Mm -hmm. better. I mean, you should not have to go dissociate to get a pap smear. No. Mm -mm. I mean, it's, it's intimate, right? Like it's, we could associate it, not that it's sexual, but you know, it'd be the same sort of energy of Mm -hmm. opening your legs to somebody else. You know, it's, it's something that we really need to take with deep reverence and, and care because it's yes, a medical procedure, but it's very, 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 very vulnerable and intimate. Yeah. Well, I won't keep you a whole lot longer, but I would love to just hear from you on I mean, I'm still going through all of your content and just loving everything that you put out into the world. What do you feel like from your perspective is your purpose and your mission right now? Hmm. Right now, I feel like I am really shifting into more of an online place where more people can access me. I'm really getting into doing a lot of private consultations with people all over the world in regards to questions that they have, but also into that remembering that they can come back and be in their power and ask questions to their healthcare providers and, you know, demand that they're concerns are heard and get to a place where everybody's on the same page together. I feel like if we really step back into us giving women options and education and the ability to consult with experts, everything will shift and change. Like we'll, we'll have this genre of women that, that feel like they're heard and that they're safe. And I just, I just can't see how that wouldn't benefit the world in every shape and form. I also really like to say that I got into birth work first due to the baby's experience of birth, being a doula in the hospital for so many years, I saw how babies weren't really even acknowledged. And, Mm -hmm. and so I feel like that's another huge mission of mine is to remind people that babies are so aware and conscious of that experience. And if we can include them in that experience and talk to them throughout the process, that that starts their life off right from the bat of feeling in that safe space as well. I love that. And you can do that whether you give birth in a hospital or at home, anywhere you are. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Well, we've been talking for almost an hour and I appreciate your time more than I can say. You are a phenomenal human being and everything you're putting out into the world is just shifting the conversation and shifting the consciousness. And I'm just, I'm grateful that you are here doing that work. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such a beautiful conversation. I'm so glad that you reached out on Instagram and we made that connection. And I really appreciate you having me here. 
That's it for episode 40. A big thank you to Arrowhead Mills for making this episode possible. And remember, you can ask me anything by sending me a DM at Real Food Liz on Instagram. But the best way to ask is to go to realfoodliz.com slash askliz. That way they don't get lost in my inbox. I appreciate you. I'll see you next week. 